Welcome to the Post Talk Live podcast, where we host live salon gatherings for curious people around the world. Hosted by me, Susan McTavish-Best. Thank you everyone for coming. My name is Susan McTavish-Best. I live here. Thanks. Oh, thank you. We've never had that before. Yes. Yes. Um, it's like a it's like a late night talk show. Oh my god, it's totally like a late night talk show. Uh, <laughs> uh, we need sponsors. We need sponsors. I know we do tonight, but not for the late night talk show. So tonight is co-hosted with the Templeton World Charity Foundation. And this is part of a grant that we have received. Many of you have been to many Templeton World Charity Foundation salons. And this is one, and I think in our fourth year, and forgiveness appears to be a very popular topic in New York City, um, which is great because you don't necessarily, well, I don't know, let's think about it. Do New York, do Manhattanites like to forgive? We'll discuss this later this evening. Um, but let's, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping first. So uh, we are not here serving you that much. Um, the staff is pretty limited. So if you're finished with your plate, if you could take it back to the kitchen, that would be fantastic. Uh, and our kitchen staff are great. They're all friends. <laughs> and we couldn't do this without them. Like, literally, they're, they're all very close friends. Um, okay, other housekeeping social handles. What's Templeton World Charity Foundation's social handle? At Templeton World. At Templeton World. Okay, everyone should follow that on Instagram, I think might be their best bet. But you could also do it on LinkedIn as well. I don't know about Twitter. And Twitter. Currently, and Twitter. Uh, Post Talk is at Post Talk Salons. I'm at Max Tavish Best. Do you have a social handle we should know about it? I don't. Anyone else, you, Ben? You can follow me at Country Gentleman Science. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, all right. So this evening is going to be a little bit different from prior evenings because we're going to weave in music throughout the conversation. So it's going to be really messy. Because <laughs> we've never done it before. And there's a lot of you. Um, and we didn't really rehearse or anything. But you'll be, hopefully you'll be okay with it. Um, music's such an important part of our world. Uh, I will, let's see what else. Briefly introduce Andrew Sarazin is the president of Templeton World Charity Foundation. Right. And the reason we're here, so thank you, Andrew. We're happy to be here. And we just love that Templeton is all about human flourishing because I feel like we could all do with thinking about human flourishing a little bit, right? Ev, Ev Worthington is a professor and really uh, maybe the world's expert on forgiveness. He's, like the, the, he's like the godfather. Of, he's the godfather uh, forgiveness. of forgiveness. Yeah. And the impetus, <laughs> the impetus for tonight is... I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> right. Um, the impetus for tonight is there's a forgiveness conference gathering up in Harvard at Harvard this coming weekend, let's say Wednesday, so I think starting tomorrow. And he was part of this the world's largest research project around forgiveness, which we will chatter about. And so we got to catch everyone on their way up to Boston. So lucky us. We get a little bit of a sneak peek. And then on the music front, we've got Ben over here, Ben Arthur, who's a songwriter. And he has a podcast called The Songwriter's Podcast. 
Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Can you can you tell explain what the Songwriter Podcast is? It's extremely popular, and you're probably already listening to it. Almost certainly. I, I, <laughs> I thought I recognized you people. Uh, <laughs> Songwriter uh, turns stories into songs. So you might have uh, Joyce Carol Oates telling a story and David Gilmore from Pink Floyd writing a song in response. Questlove telling a story um, and uh, let's say Katie Mellowa play, playing a song in response. It's about uh, a, an exploration of what creates um, inspiration, how, how arts work together. And I was delighted to work on a project with Templeton um, around forgiveness with uh, Cheryl Strayed um, telling a story um, from her Tiny Beautiful Things, uh, now on Hulu. Um, and uh, Milk playing a song written in response. And Dr. Suzanne Friedman, um, who Ev knows, um, talking about the scientific mechanics behind forgiveness, which is fascinating. Amazing. And, uh, songwriterpodcast.com and Queen Esther who I have not met until right now I'm sorry ladies and gentlemen this is Queen Esther also a songwriter and a, and a short... definitely a multi-talented having gone to your website you do many things you're not just a songwriter yikes <laughs> uh, uh-huh. well it's nice to be here nice to meet all of you um Gosh, I don't know what to say now. You don't need to say anymore. Queen, my Queen Esther replay. is an extraordinary songwriter. She's going to perform. Yeah. One of the people who I've worked with on, a, on one of these episodes uh, with Taylor Mack, who Queen Esther brought to the table to tell a story about being yourself. And uh, we've been collaborating on that uh, for a while. And so when Susan said we should come down here, I immediately thought of Queen Esther. Yeah, well, I was excited. And then there's Staria, a.k.a. Lena, who many of you know, in from L.A. Right here. She's right here. She's right here. Oh, my God. She's hiding. She's hiding right here. When does your song drop about anger? Yesterday or today? Uh, oh, we did. Oh, I thought you had one too. When I have oh, anyway. Okay. I know that song. Great. She's furious that I forgot, but our relationship is a lot about forgiveness. <laughs> I'm always asking for forgiveness from Lena. So we have three musicians. They're all going to perform live. You should follow them. You should support them. Because um, I think, you know, art makes the world go round, right? Yes. Do you want <laughs> Can you talk yeah, to us no, about... Yeah, no, I... I, I mean, so I think, I, well, I'm going to hand over to Andrew to talk okay. about the free, what, what Templeton's doing around forgiveness. Yep, so... Th- and thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you for Susan for organizing woo, this amazing woo. event. Um, I don't know. Is this... Is this I think working? you're on. You're good. Okay. Um, yeah, we've been, we've had four years of this. Um, <laughs> My, um, how the crowd has grown. <laughs> well, it's grown, it's no, changed. No, no, it's changed. And I, yeah. You know, and I think it's great to see friends who, this is their first salon, and then those of you who've been, you know, with us the whole way. Um, it's really an extraordinary thing that you put together and Thank curating you. all these amazing people. Everyone's here for a specific reason. And, um, and I think that reason is, is curiosity, actually. Um, you don't take the world as it's presented um, you think about things with humility and with joy um, and, uh, and, and like to have fun in the meantime. So <laughs> the foundation, Templeton World Charity Foundation, uh, those of you who don't know us, we, we focus on human flourishing. Um, and that is not just about securing survival. Um, it's about really understanding the science and the practice of what makes life worth living. And there really isn't something as, I think, important um, as forgiveness on that on that journey, it's it's something that combines both the head and the heart, like we're doing tonight. We're um, we're engaging in conversation with ideas, with research, 
um, with the sort of food, with sound, with smell, all of these things that really bring forth the totality of our existence and, and what, um, and really in, in engaging as human beings with each other. And so, um, you know, forgiveness really embodies that because the research on forgiveness shows that, um, you know, it's about, uh, I think of it as a miracle or you could think about it as a, a kind of psychological alchemy that, that moves emotional garbage into gold. Uh, and it's really a miracle that, that we have this capacity. Um, you know, so much of, of human life um, and human history is driven by a cycle of vengeance and shame and guilt. And, and forgiveness allows us this opportunity to escape that. And it's really a unique thing as far as we know uh, amongst, amongst uh, mammals. Um, I don't think we've programmed forgiveness into AI uh, at this point. Um, but, but it's really a sort of a unique feature um, that really brings, brings all of our humanity together. And, uh, um, you know, and so when we think about solving global problems, um, we need capacities like forgiveness to address them. Like, if we think about justice, we need forgiveness. If we think about addressing climate change, we need forgiveness. If we think about um, inequality and economic opportunity, we need, we need forgiveness. And so we need to bring these different forms of things like forgiveness or gratitude or humility or creativity to the fore. And that's what Templeton World Charity Foundation is all about. Um, and as Susan mentioned, we have Everett <laughs> Worthington, who is the uh, the godfather of forgiveness research, uh, who's um, really, I think, just led the way over so many years um, in writing about it, thinking about it, having personal experience with the topic. And, um, and we're just so grateful to explore that tonight yeah. with you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, you, you speak of two different kinds of forgiveness. Can you tell us what they are? Because sure. I, I had never thought of two different kinds of forgiveness. Uh, I guess, though, I was thinking about what you said just a minute ago about whether people in Manhattan were forgiving. <laughs> okay, that's I, for the later part of the conversation. <laughs> I, I rode in with a taxi driver that I thought was very forgiving. Uh-huh. He, he, he would beep the horn at people continually, <laughs> which I'm sure was his signal for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> he would make hand gestures, you know? I, uh, anyway. We get a lot of emotion <laughs> up here in our apartments in Manhattan. Yeah. So there are two types of forgiveness, mm. I believe. And uh, one of those is to make a decision about how we intend to treat the person who has offended us or hurt us. And so, you know, I want to make a decision not to get vengeance on this person mm. or uh, to treat this person as a valued and valuable person. And then the second type of forgiveness, which takes, I think, a lot longer in most people, is an emotional forgiveness. Mm. And that's to replace negative, unforgiving emotions Mm. like bitterness and resentment with positive, other-oriented emotions like love, for example, and if romantic couples hurt each other, or empathy or sympathy or compassion. The latter sounds more difficult if you keep seeing the person. Perhaps you live with them. <laughs> well, I think forgiveness is hard regardless. Mm. You know, I, th- I think uh, if we think it's easy, it probably means we haven't lived because, you know, we've all experienced these hurts. So, mm. 
But if a person keeps hurting us, uh, then, you know, we have this idea called an injustice gap. And that's how much injustice I feel was done. And if the person keeps hurting us, that gap just keeps growing and growing until it can get to feel like leaping over a a 50-foot fence. Should you peace out at that point? (laughs) Well, the, the beautiful thing is there are many ways to deal with injustices, not just forgiveness. So I could seek justice or sometimes see justice done. I could turn it over to God. I could forbear. I could just accept and move on. Life is too short for this. So forgiveness doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting. Uh, People can reduce their sense of injustice. And if they wish to forgive, then when it gets down to a level that they can handle it, then they can forgive. Um, Evan, do you want to talk about your own personal experience with us. Yeah, so I'm taking Susan's role today, which is, she always asks (laughs) I I was going to wait a little. No, we're going to go right into the personal. I mean, because, you know, you've studied this. You've had a, you know, 30, 40 year career. He has a crazy story. Um, He was studying for years. So, so, you know, your your experience, you know, and and professional experiences in marriage counseling, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and so you've worked with relationships your whole life. and then at some point, you decided to focus a little bit more on forgiveness. And, and, and so maybe you want to tell us a little bit about the personal story you have and how you came to this topic and why you thought it was important to study. Well, <clears throat> uh, I got my license back in 1988, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, it was approximately 1982. And, uh, and I year. was... It was a good year. And I I was seeing all couples at that point. I had a little private practice. And uh, and I was also supervising doctoral students who were also seeing couples. And this is in Virginia. This is in Virginia. And uh, I had this one doctoral student, and he was seeing this couple. And he, he just was frustrated because they weren't getting any better. And he says, I said, Don, why? This is Don Dancer. He became just a master therapist. But I said, Don, why are they not getting any better? And he said, well, you know, we've taught them all your hope-focused stuff. They can resolve conflicts. They can communicate. They can, you know, establish intimacy. He says, they just hate each other. (laughs) (laughs) They've got all these grudges from the past, you know, and they can't get past them. And I said, well, Don, we you know, we need to make up a a little intervention to help them forgive. And this is back in the 80s, right? And and we weren't that accepting about it. And it was tied in people's minds to religion. And so I remember Don's eyes getting real big, you know, and he says, can we do that in a secular state university? I said, sure, we can do that. We won't tell anybody. We'll shut the door, you know, but we'll, we'll make up this little intervention. So we made up this little intervention, and, you know, this couple ended up uh, just uh, changing dramatically. In fact, uh, you know, there was a moment when we did this intervention, and uh, the counselor says, uh, you know, I think this is a sacred moment for you all. And I'm going to step out of the room and let you process this, you know, by yourselves. And he went out for 10 minutes, and then he 
came back in after 10 minutes and they were kneeling in the middle of the floor, holding each other. And there were just tears all around mm -hmm. as they had confessed things that they had done to hurt the other person. And then spontaneously were receiving forgiveness. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going on and on. Mm -hmm. you well, in 1996, yeah. in the mid-90s, your mother was murdered. That's right. So and you had been studying forgiveness. We had. We had been studying it. We had been doing research on it. Uh, and then uh, one New Year's Eve night, um, <clears throat> uh, there was a home invasion, and this young man broke in, uh, thinking that uh, my mom was not there because the house was dark. She didn't drive, no car. So he broke in and then she awakened and came out and confronted him apparently. And he bludgeoned her with a, a crowbar. So, you know, I, when I... And he was not caught. Or was he eventually? Anyway. Okay. No, okay. It's, it's, okay. It's, uh, yeah, he confessed, but oh, okay. recanted later. Okay. So he was never brought to trial. But your brother found your mother. My brother did find my mother, and uh, and that was a traumatic event in his life. We were talking about what happened uh, later that night, and I just got so angry that I, I remember pointing to a baseball bat against the wall, saying, I wish whoever did that were here, I would take that baseball bat and hit him in the head until he died. That's what he had done to my mom. I couldn't sleep that night. I was pacing round and round, and I uh, sat down and thought, you know, we've developed this reach forgiveness model, and I have not allowed myself all day to think the F word, forgiveness, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and so I thought through that model. I thought through, you know, what it must be like for this young man to be out in the cold in Knoxville, Tennessee, in New Year's Eve night, thinking, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to walk in. Nobody's home. I can take whatever I want. And then when he breaks in, this older woman, you know, looks him in the face and, and says, what are you doing in my house? And he is like, you know, she's messing up my perfect crime. So he's angry. She's seeing my face. I'm going to go to jail. So he's afraid. And he doesn't have much impulse control, so he bludgeons her. At that point, I saw myself just flash back to earlier that night and seeing myself point at that baseball bat saying, I, a, an adult who writes about forgiveness, who's a Christian, I would take that baseball bat and hit him in the head till he died. And I thought, well, so whose heart is darker, you know? And I, I uncomfortably knew my heart was darker. And yet, I knew I could be forgiven. And I thought, if I can be forgiven for the darkness in my heart, then who am I to hold this against this young man? I was able to forgive him and hold on to that. Now, I might say, when I say that, that was within 24 hours. 
I just, just want feel you like to none know. of us would have that reaction in here. <laughs> I, I just want everybody not to know. Not because we're in Manhattan, though. Yeah, that, that is not usual. You know, no. that's not usual for me. I had a professor give me a B once. Can you imagine? It took me 10 years and a religious experience to forgive <laughs> that guy, you know? So I'm not some kind of super forgiver. That was just, uh, it just happened. Okay, we're gonna come for a little music right now, Ben. Do you have yeah. a song of forgiveness over there? Do you wanna talk to us? As it happens, I do. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Cheryl Strayed uh, read this delightful story. And by the way, I'm so sorry. That, that's a, a terrible story. Um, it, it's hard to even hear. Um, so I'm so sorry you went through that. Um, but um, Cheryl Strayed told a story not so much about forgiving others, but about self-forgiveness, <laughs> which is also hard. And, mm. and one of the things that uh, she brought out in this letter from her Dear Sugar series was how self-forgiveness is actually um, a first step towards forgiving others. Um, that it, once you can extend that grace to yourself, you can also imagine yourself, as you're saying um, in this story, in, in someone else's shoes. And, and the other thing that really struck me talking to Dr. Friedman was how much uh, mortality uh, an awareness of how short life is um, can help some, some folks extend forgiveness to someone else. So I didn't have to write a song for this um, episode because Milk, this extraordinary songwriter, um, did it for me. Um, but I wanted to anyway, and this is that song. Oh, thank you. Sure. Is this original screening here or whatever the word is? Actually, it is. Yeah, I've, I've never okay. played this uh, live for anyone yeah, except uh, my wife and kids. <laughs> okay. And they have to listen, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we're moving on Jumping in a leaf pile While the winter's coming on If I can forgive you, baby Maybe I'll forgive myself too We're bad at sitting with Instinctively we turn away Offer up some consolation Shit silver lining contemplation If I can forgive you baby Maybe I'll forgive myself too We're all on a train pulling in to the station If I can forgive you, baby, maybe If I can forgive you, baby, maybe If I can forgive you, baby, maybe I'll forgive myself too Thank you. Ev, is, is choosing to forget different than forgiveness? 
it is. I, I think <clears throat> if we forget, we don't really need to forgive. Ah. Hey, we okay. forgot, you know. So, you know, forgiving is remembering differently. Mm. So say that again, Remem- remembering differently. Remembering differently, remembering without the resentment because you, and the bitterness. Right, you talk about unforgiveness and the cost of unforgiveness, and that's really at the heart of, I think, the science of forgiveness is, and the impact that that has biologically, that the, that the, cost, of, the cost of unforgiveness is, is rumination, it's, it's um, continuous hurt, it's, and that has physiologic Which is very unhealthy effects. for us. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, you're going up to Boston this week, and you just were part of a huge research study. What did you find? Well, uh, this is a study that studied six different sites. So Hong Kong, and you know these sites are loaded. Hong Kong, Indonesia, two sites in the Ukraine, okay. Colombia, and... South Africa. And tonight we have two of the site leaders here. Oh, really? So Andrea, Andrea, wave hello, hi. Andrea Ortega, the site leader from the study. And then Richard Cowden, where's Richard? He's right there. Right there, okay. So Richard's from, the site leader from South Africa. Um, (laughs) So this is the world's um, largest randomized control trial for a particular forgiveness intervention that Ev's talking about, so. And what what did you find? We found that uh, two to three hour do-it-yourself workbooks help people forgive quite a lot, like more than we expected. And it, even though it kind of decayed after a while, it still was as good as as most of the um, other. Are you doing anything in educational systems? Like little kids for forgiving? So little workbooks? We are not. Okay. Uh, Bob Enright, okay. who Suzanne uh, Friedman worked with, uh, does a lot with educational settings. Yeah. So typically the, the forgiveness interventions are guided by a therapist, like you were telling, you know, when you designed this, this program called REACH. Um, what does REACH stand for? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, uh, I, well, the acronym. So let me see I, can't if I know. Okay, you know, I this definitely is an can't remember. Challenge. This is a test. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember. Uh, so um, R stands for recall the hurt, right? So this is all about trying to get both cognitive, sort of decisional forgiveness to work together with emotional forgiveness. So recall, so that's c- cognitive. You have to specify that there was a hurt that happened. Um, e is is that. Empathize with the wrongdoer. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, A is this is my favorite one. Is give an altruistic gift. So you imagine yourself physically giving a gift to the to the person that's that's harmed you. And one that they don't deserve. And one that uh, one that they don't deserve. So that's part of the sort of altruistic nature of that gift. So that's like I think that's really interesting for me because it's really physical because you're actually presenting something, some object or something. Um, that helps the body kind of come along with, with the brain. Um, I don't remember what C is. It's commit. To commit the- to forgiveness. And, and then last, which is sort of, which is re- reason I don't remember it is because it's kind of like a cousin to the H, right. which is hold on to the forgiveness. So R-E-A-C-H, you can learn about that, Sherelle, at discoverforgiveness.org. 
but specifically, Shirelle. And there's a reach.discoverforgiveness.org. Reach.discoverforgiveness.org. You can, you can see um, that intervention there with the workbooks that are available uh, that were trialed in this case. So that's, that's the, the, the program, and it was a two-hour workbook, two to three hours, uh, which in contrast, you know, would take a therapist, you know, a lot of intense work to get, to get by, and, and I, um, so. What if the actions that. haven't stopped, and we're living day to day with a person who's still doing something horrible, like abusive relationships, or whether it's in the workplace well, I think or about this or... with Ukraine, right? Yeah, so, like, so how, I mean, do you, how, like, how do we, how do you manage that? Well, I think like tool, just like day-to-day tools for us to get through. Let's so it's, it. it's very important to realize that forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So that means that because there's that yawning gap, right? Right. Of <laughs> injustice, it, the injustice, yeah, the injustice gap. gap. And and reconciliation requires trust. And if somebody is not going to be trustworthy, if they're mm-hmm. going to continue to try to hurt me. It's not safe or prudent to, uh, or sometimes even possible right. to forgive. So, so the first thing is to recognize forgiveness happens inside my skin, and I can make a decision to forgive pretty much any time. It's going to take a while for the emotions, and so I work as well as I can on the emotions but I don't get frustrated because I still feel angry, I still feel hurt. But as a, as a sort of therapist or, or counselor, do you ever counsel people not to forgive? Do uh, I? That, I mean, I want to talk about anger. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was, it's sort of related to the safety issue, yeah. right? So if, if somebody's not safe, do you ever make an assessment to say, actually, you know, yes, forgiveness can be part of your future, but right now you need to work on other things, like, for example, safety? I might do that, but I usually will will say, you know, forgiveness is not opposed to justice. It's not opposed to making yourself sure. safe. That's a relief to hear that forgiveness is not opposed to justice, right? I think that might be a takeaway from tonight for anyone who has anger yeah. inside them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, the young man who killed my uh, mother... You know, I forgave him, but he, if he got caught, he would have to face the justice system. So justice is social and societal. Forgiveness is individual. So, so then once I've kind of oriented toward, I I'm, may not just snap my fingers and be totally emotionally at peace, then I can work systematically on trying to lower the injustice gap and forgive. Esther, should we have a little music from over in this corner? Yeah, why not? Yeah, there we go. (laughs) There was a guy that I fell in love with and then we broke up, but it wasn't like he's my ex-boyfriend. He was a person who really taught me how to love myself. He loved me so much, it forced me to love myself. That's how much he loved me, a real Texan. (laughs) We came... (laughs) Yeah, he... he, uh, He's, his parents were from Red Stick, Baton Rouge, and uh, he grew up in Houston, and he just loved me so much, I had to love myself. Well, you know, we came up to New York, and he turned hard, and things got weird, and mm. he said and did unforgivable things, and as mm. it turns out, he had a brain tumor. Oh, my god. That was pressing up against his brain for God knows how long that made him behave that way. And before he died... 
we actually had a moment where we got together and I forgave him. And there are moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, I could just kill you for this, for that. But we had that moment. And so now I'm going to sing you a song of remembering those halcyon days. Mm. It's moments where you really love this person and, you know, even in your unforgiveness of going back and forth, you still have the love. This is considered by most critics to be the most beautiful standard ever written. I know. There's a lot of them, but this is supposedly the most beautiful one. So I hope you like it. And now the purple dusk of twilight time steals along the meadow of my heart. High on a hill, the little stars climb, always reminding me that we're apart. You wander down the lane and far away, Leaving me a song that will not die. Love is now the stardust of yesterday. The music of the years gone by. Sometimes I wonder why I spend the lonely nights dreaming of a song. The melody haunts my reverie and once again I am with you. When our love was new and each kiss an inspiration but that was long ago and now my consolation is in the stardust of a song beside a garden wall where stars are bright you are in my arms, the nightingale tells his fairy tale of paradise where roses bloom, though I dream in vain. In my heart, it will remain a stardust melody, a memory of love's refrain. Thank you.
why, why does forgiveness bring on states of tranquility and well-being? Well, it, it gives us a sense of peace, I think, because our emotions were at war. And, uh, and now there's peace. So that's the calm. Is it like exercise forgiveness? Does it get easier if you try to, you know, you wake up in the morning, and you're like, I'm going to forgive three people today. Does it get easier and better? It actually does. Oh, yeah, I know you didn't want to hear that. That did. might be the takeaway, from another <laughs> takeaway from this evening. So practicing, like any virtue, practicing the virtue makes it more automatic mm. and makes, it, makes us better at it. Mm. Is there any scientific research that you guys have funded on this? Unrepeated? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think one, one, one additional kind of, I'd love your opinion on, um, hurt comes in many different forms, and most research is focused on, you know, interpersonal forgiveness. Mm. And, and so I'd love your insight on, um, you know, impersonal forgiveness. So, you know, uh, imagine, you know, a, a random Twitter account you know, uh, or an anonymous. It's really impersonal to me, but it still causes me hurt. How? how do, do We're going to have more and more of this to deal with, is do, what well, you're saying. Well, right, I think, <laughs> yeah. So, but, and also societal, so groups, states, I mean, sort of non-personal actors cause, cause me harm or trauma. Can I use the same tools that I would apply for interpersonal forgiveness to those, those situations? I think you can use the same tools, and sometimes it helps if I can put a face on it. So if, even if it's impersonal, if I imagine someone, then I might be able to, you know, apply it more personally. So it's like choosing a representative of a group. So this is the way that we often build up prejudices and hurts, is we you know, have something happen, then something else, then something else, then we generalize. Right. But if we're wanting to forgive, we can take a person, take another person, take another person. Does it help if I know that person? Or, Well, if you've got an issue with a person, that would help. But but no, you know, it could be just anyone. It could be someone in the news. Is it easier to forgive in a democracy over an autocracy? I mean, this is on our minds right now, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't <laughs> speak to that authoritatively. Ben? ben? We have, oh, there he is. All right, let's, let's, something to think about, though, right? Is it easier to forgive in a democracy than in an autocracy? Well, well more specific. I mean, maybe a general point. Sorry, sorry yeah. Ben. Are there social situations that permit forgiveness more easily than others? Like, so... Hope. You know, we, I think, we think about, you know, we think about these, like, heroic moments like Nelson Mandela and, and so forth. But um, most people aren't like that. And so we need help from our surrounding sort of uh, cultures, relationships. So are there, to, to sort of ex- extract a piece of Susan's question, are, like what aspects of culture help us to forgive or social situations help us to forgive? Can you speak to that? Yeah. Uh, so if there are, if you're in a couple relationship and you both forgive, that helps. If you're in a family and that's the norm in the family, that okay. helps. If you're in a community, maybe it's a religious community it's, or just a social community and it's a forgiving community, those support... That was something that was interesting about the 
about the, the study was that actually the workbook helped people that had a low tendency to forgive more than those who had a high tendency to forgive. Uh, on one hand, that's kind of statistical in that they have more room to to, to go. Come from lower base. So if somebody's pretty much there, then they can't go very far. Ben, do you want to? So my answer to that would be that we really have to focus on communication in a polarized world. Uh, Well done. (laughs) Can I tell you about our other other, other priority at Templeton right now is Listening. Thanks so much for having me here. Uh, all the Templeton folks who work on all these ex- extraordinarily important uh, issues. Uh, and I'm actually going to play a song that I brought to the table here uh, because it's about community, about communion, about uh, being in a room together. Um, and uh, it's for Molly and for Susan uh, for bringing us together. So uh, thanks thank to them. And, and you know, uh, you've heard of a sing-along. Um, this, is, this is like that, except you don't have to sing. It's, a, it's, a, it's more of a breathe-along. So there's a, there's a moment in the chorus where you'll be invited to take a deep breath with me. And uh, if you want to, you can. And maybe, uh, maybe it'll help, help with your day. Uh, this is a song called Abide. I wrote it for my wife. That uh, pretty redhead over there. made a little circle and you're all in it and just for a minute we can abide pretend there's no struggle no lose it or win it no end or beginners hello or goodbye time Courses onwards like a bloodstream. Each beat, another second passing by. You can't keep a single breath you ever took. But just for a moment, just for a moment, we can try. Some days I feel like we're all the same thing. The illusion's amazing. God's pointless plan. It isn't if I'll be a part of the snakes and opossums, the leaves and the blossoms. It's only the when. Time courses onwards like a bloodstream. Each beat, another second passing by. You can't keep a single breath you ever took. But just for a moment, just for a moment, just for a moment. We can try I made a little circle And you're all in it 
And just for a minute We can abide um, Thank you Thank you We have one final question Pinaster, do you have another song? Okay, perfect So one, one final question uh, From up here And then we'll, we'll do a, a few Q&A You're not rushing off tonight, are you? I am not. Okay. Um, how can we self-forgive? Are there actual tools to do that? There are. And self-forgiveness can be even more difficult than, uh, than forgiving others. So, But we live with ourselves and we talk to ourselves when we wake up and when we go to sleep. Exactly. Oh, we, we can't, can't escape. escape ourselves. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So what makes it, I think, more complicated is that usually we've, hurt someone, mm. and, and then we have to take care of that responsibly so that we responsibly forgive. So, so we, you know, like have to approach the sacred and make it right with the sacred, whether that's nature, whether that's God, whether that's, you know, humanity. Then, Does nature have a part in forgiveness? I feel like, is it, is it maybe easier to forgive when you're in the middle of a cabin in the redwoods than you are on your fancy penthouse in Manhattan? I bet you, you know, I think there's a grant. Really there's a grant right there. There's a great grant, but I, I wouldn't mind studying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, take, you know, make it right with the sacred. Make it right, make amends with the person or persons that have been injured. Mm -hmm. And then psychologically deal with the moral injury that I might have done to myself. Mm -hmm. Then I can just apply this reach forgiveness to myself. And then comes the hard part because we can forgive often easier than we can accept ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I might be able to forgive myself for losing my temper and maybe hitting my child, but I'm like, I, I didn't know I was the type of person who would do that. Mm. And so s accepting myself, it can be harder. Mm. And then last is to kind of commit to, you know, doing things well from then on and uh, as much as I can. There we go. Why? Oh, <laughs> well, Pick um, up from there. Yeah, I, I feel like you can do it. <laughs> I think I can do some heavy lifting with I this think tiny you can do thing. It. Oh my God, I think you can do it. All right, it. well, I want you to go back to the before times with me. <laughs> when, uh, you know, this was like, I am legend, you know? The city was empty, and I was in Harlem on the west side by the water, and I ran out of yeast. <laughs> like everybody else, right? right? I just found the perfect recipe for a loaf of white bread and I ran out of yeast. <laughs> it happens, right? It happens to the best of us. So um, my permanent boyfriend gave me this ukulele and it just became my little friend and I wrote a pandemic album and the great news is I got the copies today. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I just gave birth. Oh, my gosh. And we're all here to watch. I know. <laughs> so um, this is a song from the album called uh, When I See You Again. I had a friend. Everybody left. And, you know, she was like, I'm going back to my mom's house. I'm like, okay. It's like you're 12 and you're going to just take your ball and go home. Um, but um, she was like, I just want to go to a speakeasy and take a cute purse and 
you know, flirt and have a drink. And we didn't even know if there would be any speakeasies when we came back. I'm so glad they're still there. Um, so that's what this song is. It's called When I See You Again. I hope you like it. When I see you again When I see you again When I see you again I know just what I'll do I'll walk along the way And cross the avenues to you when I see you again 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 I know just what we'll do We'll drink some sunshine and we'll run these streets like we used to do when I see you again. After the Rona turns the whole world upside down, I'll come around. I'll be there, won't you, oh, please don't go without me, wait for me, I love you so, wait for me, I miss you so, when can I see you again? Can I see you? No one seems to have a clue. You're not gone, but you're not really here. There's nothing I can do till I see you again. Oh, I don't know if I should come down I'll be there won't you oh please don't go without me wait for me I love you so wait for me I miss you so wait for me Thank you so much for making the evening so special thus far. We're going to move to some questions. A handful, not too many, because we also have Staria's music. Might turn into a dance party. Um, questions from folks. And I do have a microphone here. Is it on? 
introduce. Belinda is editor-at-large at Time, Australian, and also very, very funny, and wrote a book about divorce. Actually, it's about marriage. Marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've never been married. This is sad. It's called Marriageology. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Right. Save room for the sequel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but also kind of funny. Kind of funny. Kind of funny, right? Kind of funny. Thank okay. God you're funny. Thank God you're funny. It was called Marriageology. <laughs> Give an example of how successful that is. No! No, 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 no. I, don't, I don't think this is on, so I'm going to show. Or oh, maybe it is. Yeah. So I'm interested in who is the hardest person to, or, or category of person to forgive. Is it the spouse who's there all the time and who has promised to love you and cherish you and is doing those shitty things? Or is it the person who is in an asymmetrical power relationship to you. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear from maybe the South African guy, is it harder to forgive uh, when you cannot really empathise because the person has so much more power and empathy is more something that you have for somebody who is equal or maybe an, an, under, an underling? Um, and I wonder if there's a, is a, a category of person that is harder to forgive than another category. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's been research on that, but certainly repeated hurts that build up and build up and build up are are difficult. But I wouldn't want to, you know, bet that that's harder or easier than somebody that is abusing you because they're so much power, more powerful. That which also can be repeated, yeah. right? So, so I, you know, I take the fifth. <laughs> well, I'm a journalist, so I have a follow-up. <laughs> uh, is there, I mean, I guess this has sort of been asked, but is there a limit? There's this sort of, you're a Christian, there's this biblical idea that, you, you know, there's the Old Testament seven times seven, I think it was, or, uh, and there's a, the New Testament says no, no limit, you've got to keep forgiving. There's a lot of people who would argue, example of the Mother Emanuel Church, where very quickly they forgave that guy who murdered their mothers and, and you know, at the prayer meeting. I think we all know what I'm talking about. Sure, uh, is there, sure. Is there a limit? Is that too soon? And, and is, at what point do you say, okay, enough is enough. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. Hmm. No, I, I think that... In principle, anything is forgivable. And, but when I say that, I'm really talking about decisions to forgive. Everything is not emotionally forgivable. You know, I just can't control my emotions if somebody keeps piling on, you know, one thing after another. So, so everything in principle is forgivable. But, you know, as it builds up, it's like that injustice gap gets like the Grand Canyon. And so, in principle, I ought to be able to jump over that. In practice, I can't. So, a lot of people just balk because it's just too much. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the saving uh, 
you know, thing about this is forgiveness doesn't have to do it all. You know, there's acceptance. There's forbearance. There's what's forbearance? What's forbearance? I know. It was forbearance. It's a good word, but yeah, what does it, it mean? Is it's a it good word. What does it mean? So if I to If I if I tolerate something, you know, I'm just going to put up with it. But forbearance, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, putting up for it, putting up with it for the good of the relationship. For the good of the so community, it's like carrying the children a load, or carrying a load, right? To bear something, right? And and it, but it's it's to. I think the thing that makes it different from just tolerating, I'm just going to put up with this, is that I have a reason, right. and the reason is for the good of this relationship, whether that's a societal relationship in a, you know, in a collectivistic culture, or whether that's for the good of my marriage for the good of my family, whatever. I always think of forbearance okay. with um, spouses chewing noises. That's the... Or, 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 or third questions. Another question. <laughs> Can you pass, okay. the, pass the thing? <laughs> Sorry. Tweet, right? Tweet. Yeah, why not? Seems like that's unfair. Oh. <laughs> we'll go, we, we often go we'll then. Move we'll, down. Go. we'll move down. We'll move down. Excuse me. Right. Um, hi, I'm Tui from Ominjar Network. And... We're talking about forbearance and incentives for oh, incentives uh, for forgiving. What if there are no incentives there, and it's just a theoretical sort of? I want to forgive because it's going to be better for the universe or for for my sublocal space or what? But there's no sort of inert motivation are there any sort of and i can think of personal experiences for this exactly <laughs> um what's your advice for trying to motivate the impulse to forgive when you you don't feel you will gain from it or, or, or if you if you don't you don't gain from it personally but maybe in a wider context if can you talk about the physical um relief and the, the, uh, that one can get. Yeah, so, so there are, I think, a lot of benefits to the person. You know, there are relational benefits, there are mental health benefits, there are physical health benefits. You know, cortisol is lowered, you know, and that cortisol, if kept at a high level, can affect every system of the body. So I... I know that there are some self-interested motives for forgiving. And, you know, so if I don't believe that, I can go to the science, I can read the science, you know. But that doesn't mean, I mean, I, might, I still might not have some kind of personal motive that I can womp up. And, uh, you know, uh, if I don't have a supportive community that supports that, if I don't have a belief system that supports that, uh, I, I'm tossed back on, you know, kind of just doing it for the benefits that I get and for the benefits I can give to the person who I forgive mm. because they get a, a certain amount of freedom from that mm. while, while still holding them accountable for what they did. 
All right, we're, pa- we're passing the microphones coming this way. Tara Leah Wong flew in. Dr. Tara Leah from San Dr. Francisco Tara. just for the night. Wow. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, just to hear you. <laughs> MD, MD, the best internist you can have on the West Coast. Way too kind. Way uh-huh. too kind. My question dovetails. My question dovetails on the previous two questions. And is there an optimal circumstance? for forgiveness. I'm thinking specifically, like in medicine, when I am trying to counsel someone to stop a destructive behavior, be it being um, reckless with their dietary habits or having a drug or alcohol problem, um, we, we coin, um, the, the, the terminology is a, quote, pre-contemplative stage where you're thinking about making a behavior change, but you're really not sure and, and is there something similar in forgiveness? There have been a number of studies that have been done with that stages of change model. And so, like anything else, we do move toward making a decision. Uh, you know, we wrestle with it at the first, and then we commit to it and, and uh, eventually decide. So, yes, that does happen in forgiveness. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, something that people may go through uh, to get to the place where they're ready to forgive. But, you know, forgiveness is a, is a coping mechanism to help us deal with stress. So if a person is feeling a lot of stress and having stress reactions, then forgiveness is one of those coping mechanisms that can lower the stress reaction. Great. Hi, uh, Sarah Snyder from the Rose Castle Foundation. Excuse my croaky voice. Um, for people who uh, have a belief in God or the divine, uh, can you tell us about when it's God or the divine that we need to forgive? Mm. That's a good That's question. That's a nice, light question. <laughs> uh, I think um, Sarah didn't really introduce herself properly. It was uh, her title is Canon Sarah. <laughs> Snyder from the Rose Castle. <laughs> and also um, vice chair <laughs> of you. the Discover Forgiveness campaign. Mm. And so thank you, Sarah, for coming tonight and all your help. Thank you so much. And yeah. also your really, really, you know, really big question that you asked there. So we have there we go. all night. We don't yeah. need to answer this now. Yeah. You can go to my office later to discuss further. <laughs> yeah, right. Over ice cream. <laughs> so a lot of people get really upset thinking that somebody could, you know, not forgive God. You know, like that's inverting the, the whole power there. Uh, but my position is that if a person can feel unforgiveness toward God, then they ought to feel, be able to, you know, feel a sense of psychological forgiveness. It's not a matter of judging God as doing morally wrong. It's a matter of dealing with my unforgiveness toward God and making a decision to do, to, you know, release that unforgiveness and making uh, and then experience a change in my emotions toward God. Okay, Edward? Uh, uh, quick Hi, question. Edward. Can you, can you forgive and still seek to destroy your enemy? <laughs> I mean, we haven't talked about forgiveness in the business world, which is one of my questions. <laughs> yeah, like, we're near Wall Street. Like, how does that work, right? Well, it could be in Wall Street, but I'm thinking about yeah. a, a, 
It's general. Yeah. You had duels between men sometimes, and they would like have forgive, but they would be like, I still, I'm still gonna kill you. It's a double whammy. The altruistic gift, <laughs> which is called. A... So I, I think that I, I think that you know we can forgive and and yet stand for justice, you know. And sometimes standing for justice ends up with people getting hurt. And so I think that there's nothing that is incompatible there because forgiveness happens inside my skin. Justice happens societally. So it is a different playing field. So I think it's appropriate. Elise, do you want to shout it out? There we go. Thank you. How much of forgiveness is something that we do internally? That is, one forgives someone. And how much is it necessary for, for us to inform the person that we are forgiving, that we have forgiven them. So can we just forgive and not mention it to them? Or is it important that we tell them that we have forgiven them? That's a, it's a great question. And I think forgiveness is something that happens inside my skin. And once I say this to somebody, that is taking it into the social realm. I and you know, therapy do not recommend that people tell the person that they have forgiven them because I can't forgive you if I don't also simultaneously accuse you of doing something wrong. They may not feel like they've done anything wrong. So, so I don't think it's interpersonally all that helpful to just spontaneously say to somebody, I forgive you. That may get you into the, a duel with somebody, actually. So, uh. All right, one more question, and then we're going to move to Staria on the music. Do I need to turn it on? No, no it's you're on. good to go. Uh, my name is Sam. So... Um, so nice to see you here all the way from L.A., yeah. by the way. Wow. But via Vancouver, which is Vancouver, crazy. Vancouver, yeah. We met in a line to go hear a concert, a classical music concert, with Andrea in December. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, so I'm really curious if you or the center has studied the 12-step program. One of the things that I did in COVID, even though I'm not an addict in that way, except I'm addicted to macadamia nuts, maybe, um, <laughs> is that I decided on Delicious. to go through the 12-step program during lockdown because it, they advertised it as a way to kind of go through and take a personal inventory and look at your resentments, which are basically a series of unforgivenesses. Uh, so I was wondering if you guys had studied it because it seems like it's an interwoven complex of personal inventory, understanding one's responsibility and amends and all of these things wrapped up together to create like a real technology around this. And I'm curious if you guys had because it's been around for so long, right? <laughs> so personally, I've only done a couple of studies on the 12-step program, but there's a, a psychologist at Texas Tech named John Webb who just brought out a book in 2021 on forgiveness and addiction, 
And most of that book just kind of delves into the 12-step program and really says, this is a great program. You know, this is a, a therapist ought to aspire to this. It, so, you know, it's a good, good program and lots of research on it. But not by me. <laughs> Copy right, that. Well, this is going to be our last question. It's not going anywhere. You should obviously stay because we have a lot more music coming. Dessert. Thank you so much to the Templeton World Charity Foundation. Thank you. I feel like people just love these topics that we can all, we've all experienced, you know. Um, so thank you so much for letting us bring people together. It's really mm. great. And I think it's great for everyone individually too, right? Yeah. AI is taking, we all, we all love chat GPT, but the value <laughs> of analog only just gets bigger and better and higher. And you all know it because you're here. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Post Talk Digital Salon with Susan McTavish-Best. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really does make a difference. If you don't already, please make sure to follow us on social media at McTavish-Best on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for attending our digital salon. <laughs>